Take your Bible, if you will, and open it to 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 1. This morning, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but before we do, I want to talk about salvation. I want to address the doctrine of salvation and um, uh, talk about each member of the Godhead's part in the salvation process. You know, we're praying for our one to be saved. Whoever that person is that God has laid on your heart that you want to see come to know Christ. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we understand the salvation process fully? Do we understand what is involved in leading one to faith in Jesus Christ. Look what Peter says here in this opening uh, introduction, this greeting of his very first letter, verse Peter chapter one. And look in verses one and two. Peter says, he, he, he describes to himself his apostleship. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here in these opening verses of Peter's first letter, we see that each member of the Godhead has an important part in the salvation process. And what I want you to take away from the message this morning is that very thing. Each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is involved in the work of salvation. Um, uh, <clears throat> there are three uh, things that I want you to see related to each member of the Trinity. The Father's part, the Son's part, and the Holy Spirit's part in the salvation process. First of all, I want you to see that God the Father chooses you. Now, here we come face to face with the doctrine of election. And we find two important aspects of this doctrine that I want to cover with you this morning. First of all, I want you to see the nature of election. Look what Peter says there. He says, to those who are elect. He reiterates this concept in verse 9 of chapter 2. Look what he says. Look over in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, look at this, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter alludes here to Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 to show that he knew God had sovereignly chosen Israel. In Deuteronomy 7 6 it reads, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God's sovereign love also prompted his choice of the church. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. He told the Thessalonians, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, beloved brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Jesus himself taught the doctrine of election, the truth of election. He said, for instance, in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then in John 13, verse 18, he said, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. You see, the Lord assumed the truth of divine election in his Olivet Discourse. In Matthew chapter 24, it says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So throughout the New Testament, this critical truth, the subject of election is clearly presented. All whom the Father gives, the Son receives, and the Son keeps them and raises them to eternal life. So in principle, Jesus revealed um, this to the disciples in the upper room. In John 15, verse 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Paul wrote clearly the truth that election is completely the result of God's sovereign purpose and grace. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That's what we've been studying. We studied in the book of Ephesians prior to our series that we are presently in, in the book of Galatians. But in both of those letters, we see the truth of what Paul says right here. So from eternity past, God has had a large body of believers in mind whom he chose to love and to save from their sin. Friend, God has had you on his mind since the beginning, uh, way back in eternity uh, past. God the Father has had you on his mind. He has called you. He has elected you to experience his salvation. I want you to notice, secondly, though, the source of election. Look what Peter says in uh, the first part of verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, some interpret that word foreknowledge to mean that God in his omniscience looked down through uh, the ages of history and he saw who would believe and who would not. And therefore, based on that knowledge of his foreknowledge of seeing who would respond, he then chose those whom he knew would choose him, who would believe in him. However, 
The usage of the word here refers to God's eternal, predetermined, loving, and saving intention. You see, in the same way that God foreknew his plan for Christ's crucifixion before the foundation of the world, he also foreknew the elect. In neither case was it a matter of prior knowledge about what would happen. Foreknowledge is God's predetermining to have a relationship with people based on his eternal plan, not advanced knowledge of how they would respond to his offer of redemption. Friend, if you're a believer, can I just say to you this morning, you are blessed. It is the grace of God that you and I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we cannot boast because of anything in us that God saw and saved us for. We didn't earn salvation. We don't deserve salvation. It is all by God's grace. God chose you long before you ever chose him. Salvation is a gift of grace, and there is nothing that you ever did to deserve it. When God in his love and grace decided long ago he wanted you to be his son, to be his daughter, to be a member of his family. We just sang that song about heaven. We know where we're going. Can I just say to you this morning, the only reason that we're going to heaven is because God in his grace looked down through history and put his hand on your life and said, you're mine. You're mine. I want you in my family. Do we fully understand that? No, we have finite minds. He is an infinite God. I don't understand all there is to know about God, but I just know what the Bible says, and the Bible tells me I didn't choose God. God chose me. I simply responded in faith to him choosing me and electing me to be a part of his family. That's the role of God. The Father chose you for salvation. Secondly, I want you to see God the Son cleanses you. Look what Peter says in verse 2, the latter part of verse 2, to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. You see, God created a perfect world, but human sin destroyed the perfection of paradise. We now live in a sinful world. So God made arrangements to clean the world up, to clean the world of sin. In the Old Testament, God taught the Jews that sin could be forgiven through a blood sacrifice. He was teaching them a life had to be sacrificed to make atonement for sin. For instance, we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Every year on the day of atonement, the high priest would kill an animal and sprinkle its blood on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 16, 
Then he, the high priest, shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions all of all their sin. So the blood of the lambs and the blood of goats was used to cover the sins of God's people. God would accept the sacrifices on his people's behalf. Looking forward, he would accept those sacrifices, those temporary sacrifices. All the while, God was looking forward to that time when the perfect sacrifice would come and it came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross. Jesus offered his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins. Now think about that for just a minute. What does that mean? We talk about Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus went to the cross. What does that mean? Why is that important? Well, Jesus lived a perfect life. In other words, a life without sin. He is the only person ever to do so. The only one to ever earn eternal life. It could not be denied Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus obeyed the law in every aspect of it, every part of it. He was perfect. So he is one who earned salvation. He earned heaven. He is the only one who has ever earned heaven. And because of that, he did not deserve to die on the cross. You see, death comes because of sin. Without sin, we would live forever. Jesus didn't deserve to die. Why? Because he was without sin. Only those who are guilty of sin deserve to die. Well, that was the punishment on Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. Um, they, one of the curses for, uh, for their sin, their disobedience, would God pronounce that they would die. Jesus, therefore, didn't deserve to die. He earned eternity. And then he took his perfect life and accepted death on our behalf. Now let that one sink in for just a moment. He who did not deserve death took death for you and me. He didn't have to die, he chose to. He didn't have to go to the cross, he chose to. He didn't have to offer his own blood as payment for our sins. He chose to. And God was pleased to accept his sacrifice as the payment, the redemption for our sins. Friend, today we no longer have to offer blood, the blood of lambs and goats. We simply accept or reject the invitation of God to apply the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. You see, God the Father chooses you but it's up to you whether you accept his offer of salvation or reject it. By accepting it, we are saying, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I cannot offer myself to the Father as a perfect, sinless person, so I accept the sacrifice Christ made on my behalf. 
Friend, when you do that, God washes away all your sins with the blood of Christ. God had promised through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. When Jesus died on the cross, he was making a way for our filth and our sin to be washed clean. So what role did Jesus play? He lived the perfect life. He earned salvation. He was clean. He was pure. He was righteous. He was holy before God. But Jesus, who didn't have to earn salvation, voluntarily went to the cross and died for those of us who don't deserve salvation, who are unclean, and because of his death and his righteousness, we are now clean before God. Jesus change, uh, cleanses us. Now, so God the Father chose us before the earth was created. God the Son cleanses us of all of our sin through his blood. Those events took place in the past. But the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is acting right now. He lives within us, preparing us for heaven. In other words, what the Holy Spirit's role is in the salvation process, God the Father chose us. Jesus accomplished our justification. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He is preparing us, changing us, transforming us so that when we get to heaven and we step into the presence of God where we read we will be glorified. In other words, we will be made perfect. We will have no more sin in us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He is transforming us, changing us, preparing us for heaven at this moment. When Jesus saved you, his work was just beginning. Forgiveness is just the first step. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. To complete the work, God marked you with his Holy Spirit. In verse 2, Peter refers to the sanctification of the Spirit. Now that word sanctification means to be set apart for holy use. In the Old Testament, we read that the utensils for worship in the temple were no different than the utensils that would be used in people's homes, except the utensils in the temple had been sanctified. They had been set apart to God for holy use, and so they could not be used for ordinary, everyday life. Let me see if I can put it in practical terms. Many of you ladies have good china in your house. That is not the dishes that you eat on every day. In fact, 
You probably only eat on those dishes maybe once or twice a year on special occasions. Anybody who goes into your house, I know if they go into my house, there's a china cabinet in our dining room. I'd probably have to go in there and dust off the plates. Uh, it's been so long since last Christmas, I guess, since we used them. But those, anybody who looks in that china cabinet knows they're distinct. They're different. Their pattern is different. They're, they're just the way they look says that we're different than the rest of the dishware in this house. We are made for special occasions, for special use. And can I just say to you this morning, that's what the Holy Spirit has done to you and me. He has made you distinct from all the other people of this world. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to make us holy, to make us pure, to sanctify us, to make us useful for God. When a person accepts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for his or her sins, God sends the Holy Spirit to them as a seal of their relationship. And in that instant, you become holy. You become set apart. You become a citizen of heaven and a stranger in this world. Friend, the Holy Spirit has never left you since the moment he came to take up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit uh, is always there, always present. You can quench the Spirit's leading, you can grieve the Spirit, but you cannot shake Him. You cannot cause Him to leave. His role is to make you more like Jesus. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The way you know that you're becoming more like Jesus is when other people see in you the personality of Jesus expressed in the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to be looking at in our series through Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we read the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that set us apart. Those are the things that the Christian is beginning to see uh, in his or her life. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to produce those fruits in us. And when those fruits are produced in us, it makes us distinct from the people around us. We are becoming more and more like the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit who helps you live this kind of life. He's the one who sets you apart, who tells you when you are stepping out of line with the will of the Father, and who affirms you are now an alien, a stranger, as Peter addresses the, the, the believers here um, in the uh, beginning of this letter. That's why you are a stranger, an alien in this world. This is not our world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to look different and act different, and that's the role of the the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis wrote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. On April 12, 1961, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first man in space as his Vostok 1 rocket 
circle the earth one time and return safely just 108 minutes after takeoff. Upon his return, the Russian uh, cosmonaut Gagarin said this, I have been to the heavens and I did not see a god. That's like saying I've seen the Mona Lisa and I never saw Leonardo da Vinci. In commenting on Gagarin's comment, his statement, a Russian pastor said, those who do not see God on earth will never see him in heaven. And you want to go to heaven as the choir sang this morning? Then you need to understand God in his love has chosen you to be a member of his family all because of his grace and his love. Jesus, the son who lived a perfect life, who earned his way into heaven, went to the cross voluntarily and died for those of us who could never earn our way into heaven. And he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. And he took our sins on himself. And in that moment, he cleansed us from all our sins to where the Father looked down from heaven and says, I forgive you. I accept you on the basis of your faith in his, my son's sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit comes at conversion. And he begins to make practical changes in your life, in your way of thinking, the way you feel, the way you act, the way you live, to where we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And when that happens, we begin to look back before conversion and we look at the person we were and we go, wow, look what God has done. Only God could have done this with my life. And that, my friend, if that won't humble you, if that won't bring you to your knees in thanksgiving and say, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you that I have a hope and the assurance that one day when I die, I am going to live with you forever and ever and ever. So the Bible says the heavens are declaring the work of God's fingers. You're not going to find God looking through a telescope or riding on a spacecraft. But you will find God when you understand that He has already been looking for you and He's chosen you. And when you see that Jesus died for you and you recognize the Holy Spirit of God is changing you into the person God always wanted you to be. Would you pray with me?